there's no doubt that the number one adversary the United States has had for a long time is communist China, the dominant party in the planet Earth. They're also trying to dominate the economy of the world. And on top of it, a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. Was it developed in a Chinese lab? God only knows. Why are so many Americans buying 80% more guns? These are organizations, BLM, Intifada, who are rioting all over major cities, Portland, Seattle, Milwaukee, LA, Washington, DC, burning, destroying. And people looked at it and said, I don't have a way of protecting my family. And they went out and bought firearms. The day-to-day -day person couldn't handle the truth if we really knew what was really taking place. If there's not a national security component that needs to be kept secret, there ought to be transparency. Interesting to say that. There needs to be more of that in Washington. There needs to be more cooperation. But who's going to be Biden's biggest enemy? And I'm looking at some of the things that he's announced in his executive orders. And politically, economically, and national security-wise, I don't see Biden as being particularly helpful to what we need to be as a nation. My guest today has an extensive resume, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. I think he's the 66th former uh, 66 president of the NRA, two Purple Hearts, three patents, 17 best-selling books, very, very deep experience, military politics. So with that being said, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, thank you so much for being a guest on Value Team. Good to be with you, Patrick. So I got a few topics I want to go through. So I'm just going to get right into the topics, and I'm curious to know what you're going to be thinking about. So for me, I'm a guy that uh, lived in Iran 10 years, okay? So 78 to 89, we left, we go to Germany two years, refugee camp, then I come out here, I go in the military, then later on I become a business owner, et cetera, et cetera. So my history is somewhat tied to the Middle East, Iran, mother's side, communist, that side, imperialist, I myself, capitalist, okay? So put all those uh, uh, different backgrounds together. When I think about the current time, and I think about Trump versus Biden, I'm curious to know what you're gonna to say to this. Under a Trump administration that we had, who were our top enemies, during a Trump administration, who were our top enemies? Maybe you're going to say China, Iran, whatever the list may be from you. But I'm also curious to know what you think now under a Biden administration, who our top enemies are. So Trump administration, Biden administration, what would you say? Okay, there, there's no doubt that the number one adversary the United States has had for a long time is communist China. Uh, it's an authoritarian country. Uh, they aim to be the dominant party in the planet Earth. Number two would be Iran, because the uncertainty as to whether they're going to use the nuclear weapons that they're building, and they are building nuclear weapons, and the ICBMs that they're testing just did one here, what, four or five days ago. The fact is communist China is helping make that happen. Why? Because it's to their advantage to have us distracted by other things besides what's going on in communist China. Communist Chinese are today committing genocide against the Uyghur people and others. They're committing the kinds of threats to democracy that they promised to abide by when the British signed a treaty, giving Hong Kong their ultimate you know, catastrophe. Number three, they're building literally military bastions all over the South China Sea by dredging up coral and building runways and, and arming them, things that they said they'd never do. Number four, they're threatening Taiwan. Just, just this past week, we ended up with the U.S. Navy freedom of navigation exercise going through the Straits of Taiwan in which at least a half dozen, maybe as many as 10 different communist Chinese aircraft overflew that US, the, the U.S. destroyer that was going through the straits. Those kinds of things say a lot about where they're heading. They're also trying to dominate the economy of the world. Their so-called Belt and Road Initiative, which takes basically most of sub-Saharan Africa, is dominated today by communist China. Yeah. I mean, I've been out there. I've seen every, every time you go to a major city in sub-Saharan Africa, you're looking at communist Chinese engineers, and you're looking here in the United States at communist Chinese military intelligence people coming to our colleges and university to steal our intellectual property. Much of it has to do with things like weapons with whom we deal very closely with Israel. Understandably, the Israelis are very concerned. I mean, we've got an impeachment trial going on as you and I are speaking, where there's an impeachment trial going on in Washington, DC, and at the same time, one of America's closest allies, Bibi Netanyahu, is on trial in Jerusalem. I mean, we have never seen in my lifetime, I was born when FDR was president, okay? We've never seen in our lifetime anything like this. And on top of it, a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic that was actually 
supported by what the communist Chinese refused to do, and that was tell everybody how communicable this terrible disease is, it's now mutating in South Africa and in the so-called UK version of it. And we have no idea whether the, the vaccines were developed in such enormous rush, you know, op Operation Warp Speed by President Trump. We have no idea if these things are gonna protect us from this new mutant variant of that disease. Now, was it developed in a Chinese communist lab? God only knows. I don't know, but I do know that they did everything in their power to keep us from finding out how communicable it was, how deadly it is. And the bottom line of it is the communist Chinese are behind all that stuff. And on top of that, we've got 60 or 70 of these so-called Confucius Institutes co-located on American College University, which are teaching communist Chinese ideology. And when you look at all of those things, the soft power, the hard power, the kinds of military activities, there's no doubt communist China is still the number one adversary. Does the Biden administration realize that? The only guy I know to call would be Hunter Biden. If you can get him on the show, he's probably making America's foreign policy toward China. Uh, so so the, the reason why I asked this from you is the following question, because so whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden, enemy, number one enemy is the same, China. Number two enemy in your eyes, same, Iran. Where, where do you go from there? Do you go, uh, uh, do you go Russia? Do you go, you know, Turkey? Because I know Turkey is an ally, but Turkey is a little too powerful in the Middle East, and they're kind of bullying guys that are bigger than them. Where do you put Russia? Where do you put other people below Iran? Well, look, I mean, what we've got to do is count on our NATO allies to stand up. And one, Trump reimposed the sanctions, the pressure against the Iranian regime, aimed not at, at creating a war, aimed at bringing the people of Iran to the point where they say, Look, we need a regime change here. It doesn't need to be revolutionary. We just need to vote out the theocracy that's running the country, running Iran into the dirt to continue to maintain the enormous expenditures that are required to build nuclear weapons and the means of delivering them. Who's the number one target for Iran? Remember, we are the great Satan, but remember, it's a lot closer to Israel. And so Israel has got to regard themselves as the most likely target, if not, their, if not the ultimate design. And what the United States needs to make sure that we can do is do the kinds of intellectual property investigations and research and development on the best means of deterring that kind of attack. You know, the, our military doesn't exist to fight wars. I mean, we're, we need to be capable of fighting a war and winning mm -hmm. it, but our military exists to deter adversaries from doing bad things to us, attacking our country. It's been successful at that throughout the entire Cold War. The president I was blessed to serve, Ronald Reagan, understood that. You know, he, peace through strength was one of his mottos. And the idea of making sure that the bad guys are not doing bad things, how about the old expression, trust but verify? That's Ronald Reagan. That's what every president needs to be able to do. Trump did it very forcefully. There's, there's no doubt that President Trump said things in a way that I would not say them, and probably you wouldn't say them. But the fact is, if you looked at the policies, both domestically and internationally with Trump, he got NATO to stand up and start paying their fair share. He added countries to the NATO umbrella, if you will. He's, he's built relationships in the Middle East that nobody ever thought was possible. I mean, think about Arab countries who are willing to do a peace deal with Israel. Impossible. Not so. And so what, what I hope is that this administration is going to follow through on a number of those things that President Trump did very, very well. And I'm very concerned because a lot of their top advisors, Blinken, Sullivan, those are the guys that negotiated the so-called joint plan of action dealing the so-called Iran deal. And of course, America gave up billions of dollars in hard cash and then added to it uh, billions more that allowed the, it allowed the, the, the heavy, heavy weight of what they were doing in terms of their economy, it allowed that heavy weight to be taken off because communist China is now the number one purchaser of their oil. We've got to make sure that the Europeans follow through on where they started out with President Trump. Whether you like Trump or not, the fact is the things he did were remarkable in terms of protecting the American people. It extended domestically to protecting our border. Countries without borders aren't countries, okay? So the free flow of, of individuals across borders is not something that gives you sovereignty over your territory. And on top of that, he rebuilt America's defenses. He got us out of an endless war in Afghanistan, got us out of an endless war in Iraq, pulled troops back from places where they'd been for, in some cases, decades. But the bottom line of it, it was all done to protect the American people. And like I say, deterrence is the number one objective 
of a strong military. Israel knows that, we know that. Does anybody else in this administration know it besides you and me? I hope so. So, so the, the reason why I'm asking this is because, you know, everything in life you can learn. If I know who your enemies are, I know where I align with you, right? If I know who your allies are, I know how I align with you. Right. And you've heard the sayings, an enemy of an enemy is a friend, a friend of an enemy right. is an enemy. I mean, you've, this is not the first time I'm, you're, you're hearing this. So who would you say when Trump was president for the four years versus now Biden being president for the last, you know, whatever timeline is that he's been a president, who would you say were Trump's biggest enemies who constantly got on his way, in his way? And who do you think are Biden's biggest enemies today? And who they who could be their biggest enemies? So Trump's biggest enemies, Biden's biggest enemies. And I'm not talking about just China or Iran. I'm talking about media, universe. I'm talking about like social. I'm talking a little bit deeper than that. Who would you say are Trump's biggest enemies versus Biden's biggest enemies? Well, I, I, I want to just go on the record saying President Donald Trump was a friend. Okay, he was a friend before he was president. Uh, we have these great ceremonies throughout the Army-Navy game back before COVID. Right after he was elected, he attended the Army-Navy game with my foundation, Freedom Alliance, right? Half the game on the Army side of the field, half the game on the Navy side of the field with our, with our supporters and friends and our board members and the like. I told him then, don't be an enemy to yourself. Unfortunately, he never took that advice. He would call me up at various times, both before he was president and afterwards, and he'd ask me for, for advice. I would end it always with, give me your phone because you are your own worst enemy. Biden doesn't have that problem. Bi Biden, it's not because Biden is more humble, and he, and he probably is. I mean, there's not a lot of humility in Donald Trump. I mean, the, the trial that's going on right as you and I are speaking right now mm -hmm. in the United States Senate is proof of that. I mean, the bottom line of it is he became his own worst enemy in the things that he would say and the way he would say them. The things he did needed to be done. They needed to be done back during the so-called Obama-Biden administration. They weren't. They were being done by Donald Trump, which improved. Look at one, one of the most important things that Donald Trump did for America was he created tens of millions of jobs, not just a million, but literally over 10 million jobs. He gave people the dignity of work. There were people, many of the minorities, perhaps even most, who'd never had a job before. And they could proudly walk home, in many cases, to the woman that they'd made pregnant in or out of marriage. And he would hold up that check and say, I've got a job. Okay. Very, very important to the people who supported him. Very important, obviously, to the economy of the United States. I mean, the fastest recovery we've ever had from a serious recession. It wasn't because of what Obama and Biden had been doing in their eight years. It was because Donald Trump came in and knew how to work the system and made it work so that other people could find work and get to work, go to work, bring home a paycheck. The pandemic got in the way of all of that. The challenge that presidents, both Trump and Biden, are going to have ultimately is what happens as a consequence of this coronavirus? What, what is going to be the ultimate outcome of it? Because if this vaccine isn't working, and the Israelis are a perfect example, and apparently they've figured it out, they've got one across the board, apparently, Lord knows there's a lot of baloney about vaccines. And, and, and my lovely wife and I have already had our first shot. We're going to get our second shot here on uh, Friday. And so we're looking forward to that. We got 18 grandkids. Okay. Huh. Many of them are sitting right now around our kitchen table doing their homework because they haven't been in school in a year. And I'm, and, wow. and I'm hoping someday I can use the internet at home because literally they've all got their laptops open on the kitchen table doing everything from math to science to history to so English. your house is very peaceful right now very quiet <laughs> i can already hear it i'm in my office is because they've tied <laughs> up back in my office okay so so you said trump's biggest enemy was himself give me your phone put the phone down you know you you, you you're your biggest enemy yeah fair enough alexander the great years ago said i haven't met the enemy it is i trump is his own enemy fair enough let's look at biden Who's, who's, who's going to be Biden's biggest enemy? Because I don't know if he has an enemy right now. Who's Biden's biggest enemy today? Well, I, I'm not sure that enemy is the right word. Look, I'm a conservative. You're a conservative. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. We, we've created jobs for other people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I understand that. I don't know that he necessarily has done so. I mean, I'm looking at some of the things that he's announced in his executive orders. And, and he talks like he's going to unify the country. But we now have something that's never happened before in American history, probably is unconstitutional. 
and that they're trying a person who's no longer in office in an impeachment process that says the only punishment for impeachment is removal from office. And if they want, they can then say you can never have another office, never another elected office. There's nothing in our constitution that says you can impeach someone who's an American citizen. It's all about office holders. It doesn't have to be just the president, could be a federal judge, could be all kinds of people. You can impeach senators, you can impeach congressmen, but no one's ever impeached somebody who's already out of office. And certainly no one's ever tried that person, which is what's happening right now. Now, so is one of Biden's problems is gonna be trying to unify the country that no matter what he says about it, Patrick, he is continuing to divide America. And I, I tell people, I said, you know, particularly my grandkids. I mean, I, our, our age span is sophomore in college uh, down to, you know, just barely stopped crawling here a few weeks ago. Wow. He's now walking around. Okay. okay. You, got a, you got a 19 year age span between the oldest and the youngest. 18 of them. 18 of them. Yeah. And, and thankfully, they're all here in Virginia and they all they, they congregate in, in granddad's and grandma's. That's, that's nice. You know, that's a blessing. Table. No, it's a great blessing. There's no doubt about it. So I look at what our, our grandkids are facing. Our grandkids are facing a mountain of debt, uncertainty about COVID, and the idea that they will never be able to dig out from under it. And I don't, I don't see anything that's being done by this administration that isn't going to be even more disheartening to their future. I mean, the mountain of debt we've accumulated as a consequence of COVID, the closures that have happened all across America as a consequence of it. You know, in, in Virginia, where I am, you can only have a certain number of people go to church, but you can go on any bar in the, in, the, in the state and pack the thing without masks. When you look at that, I say, you know, this isn't just a political battle. I mean, what's going on in America isn't a contest between red and blue. It's a theological battle. And that is the, the spirit of America was developed by our founders and our, the framers of our constitution as a Judeo-Christian value system based on the Holy Bible. I got one right here on my desk. I look at that and I say, we, most of our culture seems to have walked away from that. So I'm, what I'm saying is to our grandkids, what needs to happen is there has to be a spiritual renewal to unify America. You're not going to do it politically, certainly not with what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. And so the reality of it is, my, I, want to, I want to be a role model to those 18 grandkids. I want to, you know, there's this wonderful passage in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And it's probably his last letter. He's, he's, a, he's a prisoner in, in Rome. He's about to be executed by Nero. He writes to Timothy, who is a bishop in what is today Turkey, Ephesus. And he's encouraging him to stay on the job. And at one point in that lengthy letter, probably written by Luke, and signed by Paul, he, he writes about, I want you to, I'm paraphrasing 2 Timothy. I want you to remember that I am the person who showed you how to fight the good fight, how to finish the race, and how to keep the faith, right? We, we need people like that who will unify America. I'm not pretending to be that for the rest of the country. I want to be that for those 18 grandkids. And of all the things I've done in life, the most important, you know, and I've had a a real adventure. There are very few people you've ever had on. I've watched a bunch of your podcasts, brother. There's very few people who had a life as exciting as mine, to include the excitement of falling down the stairs while I was, while I was shoveling off the deck Sunday afternoon. Right? <laughs> In a second, what I call the Biden blizzards. You know, we've Where had was one. Dave when that happened? Was Dave there helping you out or we couldn't find him? Well, actually, actually, one of our sons said to me afterwards, his dad, all the things you've done in life, they're going to find your body at the bottom of the deck, having bent yourself down the stairs. And instead of a rifle in your hand, you're going to have a shovel. And everybody's going to say, what a dumb SOB he was to have gone out in the middle of a snowstorm and clear the ice off the deck. I, I, look, at, I look at those 18 grandkids and I, I want to do the kinds of things, Patrick, in the whatever days that the good Lord's going to give me left, that encourage them to fight the good fight, finish the race, and, and basically go out there and do good things. Do the respect, the because, you know, the, the example is what we all need as we're coming up to look at somebody and say, you know what, I aspire to one day, you know, and, and it's good that those 18 grandkids have a grandfather like you. I'm sure you got a lot of stuff. I'm sure you're the grandfather. Every grandkid would want to sit there and just hear stories. Can you tell me another story? Can you Because I bet you got thousands of stories. But, you know, the reason why I'm asking these questions about uh, uh, Trump and Biden is, 
when when Biden first started campaigning, right? I mean, I'll never forget. He went on Instagram and an Instagram account. I think I was the first person to comment on Instagram when he uh, uh, created his first post. And I said, it's yeah. official. Biden's going to be announcing that he's running. I think 60 days later, he announced he's running and boom, he ran. So then he goes in, he kind of watching everybody. You know, it's him, it's Sanders, it's all these other guys. Pete, you know, the Kamala, the first one, him and Kamala went at it. Then slowly but surely, Sanders came out, this person came out, that person came out, and it's him. So it went from AOC and Sanders camp, Elizabeth Warren's camp, you know, Kamala's camp to now let's let's make a decision. It's going to be Biden. Then when the debate started, we thought he was going to protect a lot of AOC and Bernie's uh, uh, philosophy, socialism. You know, let's go out there and, you know, you know, $80 trillion, $30 trillion over 10 years for, you know, climate change. And then he became president. When he became president, he didn't put AOC on the administration. He didn't go out there and put a lot of these guys on the team. He went pretty moderate. Let's just say moderate. He's still left, but not as left as we thought he was going to be. Came out with executive orders. I think it's the second highest executive order since uh, FDR. FDR did 20, 38, 32 in his first 30 days. And I think he's done 28. And I think Obama's third right after that. So then we have him today. You don't see him a lot on TV. You saw Trump on TV every day. You don't see him on Twitter, quiet. You don't even know if he exists. No one knows what he's doing. He could be golfing right now. We have no. He could be playing video games right now, Fortnite. We don't know what he's doing right now, right? We have no idea what he's doing right now. Then he becomes the president, and now we have the new, you know, everything that's coming out. Do, do you think he's going to be the president that will be quiet? We won't hear a lot from him. It'll be, he'll be a little bit center left. He'll do some of the stuff that he needs to do to protect the left, but not far left. And he'll stay committed to his views, and he'll be controlled by Wall Street that's going to impose certain things. Like, we need you to do this. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. But there's not going to be any major changes taking place for you. Or do you think he's just getting warmed up? Be patient. There's going to be dramatic changes taking place between now and midterms. Well, I think there are dramatic changes taking place. I mean, basically, he's put Israel on notice. And, of course, you now have the issue of what's happening to Bibi Netanyahu. And you've got the communist Chinese helping the Iranians stir up a hornet's nest. They've already issued the kinds of orders our, to our military that, quite frankly, I don't see them, them helpful. I mean, his executive order is saying that the military's got to help transsexuals. That does nothing for military readiness. They're non-deployable. I mean, there's, there's no way that that's a positive sign for our military. They've already looked at the, the weapons exchanges we've got with Saudi Arabia, with Taiwan. In other words, what we've been doing is trying to build relationships with allies who can help us carry out our foreign policy. He said the other day that diplomacy is now the center of our foreign policy. This is a speech that he made at the State Department. Au contraire, Mr. President, the fact is diplomacy is not the center of our foreign policy. U.S. interests are the center of American foreign policy. Diplomacy is simply a tool by which you get what is best for our country. I mean, and so I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily agree with you, Patrick, that he's going to be a, just a center-left kind of guy. I look at those kinds of things that are happening today and the effect it's having on our allies, the effect that it's going to have on our adversaries, and saying, this is not helpful. Domestically, the idea that we're going to solve the problem of COVID, right, with nothing more than wearing a mask, and oh, by the way, you know, airlines have got to make sure that everybody gets on an airplane, gets tested, that, you're talking years away. I mean, the idea of, of delays in, I'm, I'm looking out into the, the beautiful mountains of Virginia right here, but I'm looking at empty parking lots in the middle of the day. The, the highways are empty coming to work. And I, I'm, I live 75 miles west of Washington, okay? When I, I get on the road nowadays and there's very little traffic still, right? And the idea that we can have this many people out of work and they're now going to pass additional funding that's going to give everybody, what, $1,400 in the pocket? $1,400 in their pocket. To me, that's not the answer. The answer is getting people vaccinated so that we're not going to be hit with this plague for Psalm 101 in, in the Old Testament, what, what nice Jewish friends of mine call the Torah. Psalm 101. Look at what is written there about pestilence, plagues, and enemies. And, and that's why I say that most of what we need today is a spiritual reawakening in this, in this country. It doesn't have to be a particular denomination. But you can't alienate Christianity in this country by doing many of the things that they're doing. I mean, socially, 
the idea of saying the taxpayers of the United States are now going to pay because of these executive orders. The people of America are now going to pay for abortions worldwide and Planned Parenthood's going to be able to carry them out in the United States. Donald Trump stopped that. Much to the acclaim of probably being the best, most pro-life president we've ever had. And unfortunately, all that's being changed. So culturally, spiritually, politically, economically, and national security-wise, I don't see Biden as being particularly helpful to what we need to be as a nation. Well, you're saying far left. I mean, far left to me is raising taxes, you know, uh, uh, and getting rid of all the tax cuts that we had the last four years. Far left for me would be, you know, if we go out there with the $30 trillion budget over the next uh, 10 years for climate change. Far left would be, let's eliminate all of college debt, the $1.5 trillion, which is what Elizabeth Warren proposed. Far left to me is UBI, let's give $1,000 income for every American, the whole Andrew Yang. Uh, so that's why, I'm, I mean, I see far left because I've lived in far left. So far left, then you have left. So far left to me is socialism, communism. Do you think he's going to go that far? Well, certainly if we did the things that the vice president of the United States wants done, and he does it legislatively because of the, you know, we've lost the Senate, the, the conservatives lost the Senate. She now makes it, she's already done it twice now. Mm -hmm. And she's probably going to do it again here in the hearings that are ongoing right now. And, and they're going to continue this farce that's happening in Washington, D.C., I don't see any of that that's unifying to this country or good for the future. Again, I come back to those 18 grandkids. Yep. Right. I mean, I, the, the middle school ones. Okay. When I get home at night, they say to granddad, what is this about an impeachment? They've got the constitution that they're supposed to be looking at. And I don't see any provision for that in this constitution right here, granddad, how can we be doing it? I said, because the far left is in charge of Washington, DC. I mean, it, it, Patrick, if you think about it, the Constitution has guided nearly every president in through this, the most difficult times we've ever had as a nation, a civil war, right? And so people say, is this the worst of times? Heck no. America survived far worse than this. You know, 670,000 Americans died in that civil war and the population wasn't a third of what it is today. So I, my concern, Patrick, is that too many people are taken up. It's, okay, it's going to be all right. Well, okay. I'm kind of there with you. I think the future looks bright and I don't see him being the far left because I don't see Biden as a true believer. I see Sanders as a true believer, meaning Sanders becomes president. You're not going to be able to control him. He's going to do what he's going to do because he could care less. He's been a true believer since he got married in Russia. I don't see Biden as a true believer. I see Biden as a JFK coming from there. Maybe he's moved a little bit more to the left because that's what the times have changed. And by the way, this is not an endorsement. This, this is not a, a, an endorsement I'm given. I'm just saying the, the concerns, because now that it's validated, I understand during the 18 months of campaign, if Biden gets elected, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. But now that we're here and everybody wants to try to figure out how to pivot and make the adjustments, is it the end of the world? I think I'm kind of with you. I don't think it's the end of the world. I would point out to you that if Kamala Harris becomes the president of the United States. I agree. All right. It, the goose is pretty well cooked at that point. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, mean, I agree there. I agree there. So 2024, do you think 2024 Biden will still run or will will the face be Kamala? What do you think is going to happen in 2024? I, look, I, th I think enough people are already finding out how, what's the right word? I don't think the guy's got, you know, Alzheimer's or anything, but I think he's a feeble man. I don't see him as a leader. I mean, if, if you wanted to be a great leader, right? You get elected president of the United States. The Speaker of the House, who is a crazy leftist, stands up and says, we're going to impeach the guy you just beat. And at that point, a real leader says, I really want to be the unifier of America. Picks up the phone and says, Ms. Pelosi, stop it. Stop it before you vote on it, because it's not, first of all, he's not going to get convicted. And all it's going to do is make it more difficult to unify the country. But he's not really a unifier. You see, he's Quite frankly, he's not much at all. I agree with you. He's not the far crazy leftist that Kamala Harris is. But the bottom line of it is, God forbid something happens to the guy. I mean, he's, he's older than I am. And I'm a pretty old guy. And so I, I don't think he's going to be shoveling off the deck over in, in <laughs> Massachusetts <laughs> Avenue where he lived, where he once lived, or the White House. But the bottom line of it is something happens to him. She, she convinces people to invoke the 25th Amendment, which a lot of people were trying to get you know, Vice President Pence to do. He had the wisdom not to do that. He had the wisdom to make sure that, that there was a transition. And that the letter he wrote 
uh, and I, I was just looking at it before we went on air and I couldn't find the darn thing. The letter he wrote about why he did not do what others were urging him to do and others included President Trump was the Constitution of the United States. It's a beautifully written piece. It ought to have been on the front page of every newspaper in America and it wasn't. And unfortunately, it's not in, my front of, in front of me because I read it on, into the record right, right here with you, Patrick, because it, it's right spiritually, it's right economically, it's right politically, and it's a constitutional answer to why he didn't invoke the 25th Amendment or try to get the, all of what was going on in Washington turned upside down. And unfortunately, unfortunately, what happens on the 6th just takes all the accomplishments of that administration, and there are many, and basically buries them underneath that riot that occurred up on, Cap on the I Capitol. Agree. I, I agree with that. Uh, uh, there's something very, I don't know what it is, like there's something very peaceful about Mike Pence. I don't know how to describe it. He just, I'm sure you saw the debate between him and Kamala Harris. Like, the way he gave her respect, but he addressed the concern. Yeah, so tell us, what are you going to be doing with court packing? Is it fair to say that you're not going to, yeah, we're going to be court packing. You know, we're not, you know, not, she didn't say that. She said, how about all the unfair, the fact that we don't have a single, you know, African. And so she took that away. So, okay, so you are planning on court packing and some of the stuff he talked. I like the way he approaches it. Do, do you think he's the leading candidate for 2024 for Republicans? I do. Okay. I've known him a long time. I know a lot of the people very close to him. Uh, he has a son who's a United States Marine and who I talked to before he decided to do so. And uh, I, I think what Vice President Trump, uh, Vice President Pence offers is the kind of leadership that the Republican Party desperately needs right now. And quite frankly, the nation needs. I mean, he's a spiritually devoted individual. He knows his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's unashamed to say so. He's the kind of person who is a uniter. He's done so with the Republican Party before, because when he was in the Congress, he actually brought, brought together the conference of Republicans. And Republicans have always been kind of throwing their elbows out and getting in the way of each other. And he brought them together as, as the head of the Republican conference in the Congress, in the House of Representatives. He became a great governor of Indiana. He brought people into the Republican Party who had never been there before. And mm -hmm. President Trump, to his credit, did people the same thing. Now the guy who can do that probably best is the new I think his title now is Visiting Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And he's going to be, hopefully, your guest and mine on our podcast. We, we had the president of uh, Heritage uh, uh, University here, whom we had a wonderful conversation yeah. with. I mean, it's just a fabulous conversation with. And I got more messages from his wisdom that he had. All my, my kids are going through some of his courses, and they're nine and five years, nine and seven years old, they're taking the courses. But uh, so, so going back to that, so. If Mike Pence is the lead for Republicans, you know, who would you put second, third? Do you think Trump has a chance of running again in 2024? The best thing is for him to just sit this one out and say, look, you've done your part. You're one-term president. Let somebody else come in. What do you think is going to happen with Trump? Well, I'm not Jewish, so I don't have the gift of prophecy. So, <laughs> so but look, I, my sense is... Uh, the, the damage that was done on the 6th and, and the damage that's being done right now on, on Capitol Hill in the, in the United States Senate and the damage that they're going to, they're going to try to destroy this man. Okay. Agreed. They're going to bring lawsuits against every one of his hotels, all of his golf courses. There's going to be an inquisition, the likes of which none of us can imagine. And I've been through a little bit of that back in the eighties. Mm -hmm. There's going to be Senate investigations. There's going to be house investigations. There's going to be, uh, criminal charges brought by probably a dozen or more U.S. attorneys. What it's going to do is try to, they're going to try to ruin him, right? And so given that reality and the, given the fact that he's got a bunch of kids of his own and a bunch of grandkids, he would be wise, I think, to focus on that, to encourage others to get in, involved in it. I don't think you got to give up a leadership role, but I think what needs to happen right now is he needs to protect himself and his family. He needs around, I hate to say this, I, and don't tell anybody, I have, I have a son who's a lawyer, so don't put that out there. But he needs some really good lawyers around him, and he's not had a bunch of them yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, if, if you're saying not a bunch of them, you're putting Giuliani as not a good lawyer, if you're saying that. But I, I don't think that's what mayor. you're saying. Okay. Rudy Giuliani was a great okay. mayor. Wow, okay, fair. I mean, if that's what you need, that's a pretty direct uh, call out right there. But do you, do you think Mike Pence will be able to unite the Lincoln Project folks, which is the McCain's and the Bushes, 
and the MAGA crowd? Do you think Mike could bring those two together and get some of the independents on the side? I think so. I mean, okay. I, I, I trust his I, I, I trust his instincts on top of it. I mean, he's got he's got a great career as a as a congressman, as a as a by radio talk. Going to do a podcast now, just like you and I do. He's going to make sure that the kind of folks that he puts around him reinforce his spiritual nature, his economic ideas, his national security ideas, protecting American sovereignty, all those kinds of things that really ultimately are important to the American people. And I think he's got a couple of years to make all that happen. I mean, I, quite frankly, in looking at the at the makeup of the U.S. House of Representatives and the numbers of Republican senators who are now retiring. I think it's much more likely we take back the House of Representatives in two years than it is we take back the Senate. Interesting to say that. Really? You Wait a second. Now, you got to understand, Patrick, if I knew so much about politics, you and I would be having this conversation from my U.S. Senate office. Last <laughs> time I checked, I'm not there. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay, I have two other topics and a bonus question about a movie that I'm curious to know what your answer is going to be with this. Let's, let's touch on the next topic negotiating with China and Iran. You've dealt with Iran before, obviously, Iran-Contra affair back in the 80s. You kind of alluded to it a minute ago. But what is the right approach to negotiate with a China or to negotiate with an Iran? I'm curious to know your answer on those two. I, I look at the, I, the, the proper words would be something like what Ronald Reagan used to be, trust but verify, okay? The, the JICPOA, the Joint Cooperation so-called deal with Iran, was a terrible piece of legislation, not a... Not a it's a terrible diplomatic effort, okay? You can't go back to that. You've got to make sure that you can address the things and hold them accountable. I mean, accountability is the whole name of the nature of what we're, that, we're talking how about. Do you, how do you verify with them and hold them accountable? Well, how do you do that? Keep the sanctions on. In other words, go to your allies, and we've got a bunch of them, no, no matter what other people want to say about them. But the Europeans have got to backstop us on holding the sanctions in mm. place. Yeah. Because the sanctions are hurting the Ayatollahs, and the sanctions can make them work. And the people look at it and say, why do we have this terrible theocracy running our judicial system, our government, our economy, and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps spewing terrorism around the world? And it, they literally have the ability to do that. So make sure that they're held accountable. Number two, China's the same thing. If you look at what China is doing in all kinds of the, the economy, national security, international affairs, space, all of it. Stealing the intellectual property of the American people is not the way to get it done. If they want to compete fairly on the world stage, fine. We're the ones that let them in. Remember the Biden, the so-called Obama-Biden administration, the ones that let them in the WTO, mm -hmm. okay? The Obama-Biden administration believed what they were telling them about various other communicable diseases back through organizations at the United Nations that the communist Chinese dominate. I'm talking about World Health Organization, right? I mean, we just had a WHO spokesman, was it yesterday, day before yesterday, stand up and say, we've looked around, we now know this disease did not come out of a laboratory in Wuhan province. We do know that? I mean, I don't know, don't get me wrong. I don't pretend that I would know how it got spread, how it was created, but I do know how it got spread because they shut down all kinds of internal movement inside communist China and they allowed people to go overseas. Where's the first big European outbreak? It's in Northern Italy. Why? Because the communist Chinese bought out Lamborghini, Ferrari, all of those big and, and clothing makers and handbag makers and shoemakers. And, that's, and the label on the thing still says made in Italy, right? You look at a Ferrari, it says made in, but who made it in Italy? Hundreds of thousands of communist Chinese experts went over there, took over the businesses. And of course, the Italians made money on it. They were glad to have it. And of course, the product is still made in Italy. But those people who were coming back and forth weekly out of Wuhan province spread the disease first to Italy and now across the rest of the world. Same thing of all these other places. You know, look at Brazil, look at Panama, look at, as I say, sub-Saharan Africa. I, I, I know I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be. But you know what? There's a reason why people who take uh, hydroxychloroquine from malaria aren't getting the disease as rapidly as we are here. Why is that? Because they take hydroxychloroquine. Now, I'm not telling people to stop, you know, don't, I'm not telling people they ought not to get a vaccination. Betsy and I got ours. We're going for a final one on Friday. The bottom line of it is there's reasons why places where malaria 
has been dominant. Don't get the disease at the same rate we do because, and, the, and their medical infrastructure is a fraction of what we have. So I, I look at those kinds of things. I said, there's got to be a way that we can hold communist China accountable. And, and Hunter Biden cannot be the architect of our policy toward China. Do, do you think the sanctions on China and Iran are going to stay put or you think uh, Biden's going to lift them? I think he's already in the process of lifting them. He's talking to other people about it. He's talking to them about it. I mean, if you do that, the, the, the idea of a revolution or even a, a guard, as in Iran, when a revolution took place from, Khomeini, from Shah to Khomeini, and there's a formula for it. You know, Carter pretty much choked the Shah okay. until it was too late. He's like, yeah, we're coming. We'll support you. We'll support you. We'll support you. Sorry, we can't support you. What do you mean you can't support me? Hey, I think it's best you leave. What do you mean that's best? It's my country. So it was a very interesting strategy that they used back then with Carter. I mean, we're very close to getting there with Iran, but uh, if they lift the sanctions, we may be waiting another uh, 10 to 20 years to see another pressure type situation like now, like we have right now in Iran, where there is a possibility of regime change. Yeah. So if those things are lifted, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So next, next topic here, since you were the president of NRA, Last month, January to January, gun sales is up 80%. Two million plus sales of firearms last month. It's the third biggest month ever. Last year in 2020, I think we're up 64% from the year prior to that. The numbers are just staggering what's going on right now. Why, why are so many Americans buying 80% more guns in January compared to last January? Why now? What, what, what are they thinking about? I'm curious what you'll say about that. Well, you know, first of all, you had a president last January named Donald Trump, who was a big supporter of the Second Amendment. OK, number two, you now have a president who is not a big supporter of the Second Amendment. And people are very concerned about being able to protect their families. Look, we've saw, we saw uh, the summer of riot, right, with organizations that are now, quote, I don't know how they're going to do this. But th these are organizations, BLM, Intifada, uh, Boogaloo, uh, QAnon who were rioting all over major cities, Portland, Seattle, Milwaukee, LA, Washington, DC, burning, destroying. And people looked at it and said, hmm, I don't have a way of protecting my family. And they went out and bought firearms, okay? And they can still do that today, except things are about to get a whole lot worse here in the, in the state of Virginia, because we got a crazy governor who is literally, forgive me for putting it this way, but this is the truth. He is a, a baby killing, gun grabbing race baiter who is going to come after the guns. Okay. Well, let me just a quick story without confessing to any crimes. I've already been there once. Never again. I, when, when our kids, when our grandkids, we had 11 grandsons and seven granddaughters. When, when the, they turned 14, I'm allowed to give a president pre, a present to their birthday. And it's a box and it's a long box. And inside the on the, on the front of the box, it says, if you learn to use everything in this box, you'll never go hungry, you'll never be lost, and you need fear nothing. And I will show you how. And they open the box up and the first thing they see isn't a firearm. They know there's one in the box because they can feel the weight of it. And they've seen it happen with their older siblings, cousins. And the first thing they pick up is the Holy Bible. I said, it just happens that half the months a year have 31 Proverbs in it, right? And you know, there's 31 Proverbs. And I want you to go and the very first thing about using this present is I want you to do one a day and come back and give me a book report 31 days from now. Right. And they do. And the second thing is a map and a compass. And I, I, I used to teach land navigation to Marines. Right. And, and they there's there's just like you've got in a Marine you know, training command. You've got engineer stakes and a, and a, and a metal box welded to it out in the woods at, at terrain features. And I show them how to use that map sheet, one to 25,000 scale, and that compass, how to navigate. And of course, the third thing is, and after I teach them that, I said, then I'm gonna let you have this shotgun. It's gonna be engraved on the side that this is a gift from granddad, not my name, just granddad, okay? And it's your name on it and it's your birthday. And I will take you out and I will show you how to take it apart and put it back together blindfolded. Then I'll show you how to clean it. And then I'll show you how to shoot it so that at the end of the day, you're not going to waste it. It's a shotgun. You're not going to waste it missing birds. And I, can, I have a wonderful experience doing that kind of thing. There's lots of people who are going to find that to be unlawful because a 14-year-old is now supposed to get 
a background check. What the hell's a background check on a 14-year-old kid look like? And the only wrinkle on that fabric was after one of the girls watched her older brother get a shotgun, she asked, Granddad, where's mine? So I got to go out and buy another shotgun. That's, that's if amazing. I give that shotgun to her, am I breaking the law in Virginia? I don't know yet. That's, yeah, you know, that's why people are, are pressed now to get a firearm. That's why concealed carry permits are out, just out of, off the charts. And, and, and that's a good reason that Americans are still able to protect their families against the uncertainty of somebody showing up on your back porch trying to knock your door down, and they're not the law, they're criminals. And so given the, given the temperature of the times, I think it's appropriate. What's unfortunate is the fact that Virginia is a big military state. Like, what do you, what do you, what, what are you doing touching Virginia? You know, the, well, the, the, the history, <laughs> the rich history of Virginia, like I understand some other states, but Virginia's decked out with the uh, military. So um, you gave me a great opp opportunity. This is a book about a Virginian who in 1775 got a note from George Washington, who's up in Cambridge. People forget the youngsters don't get history unless they live with granddad. And the, the rifleman is, George, is a fellow by the name of Daniel Morgan. And he writes to Morgan, who he'd come to know during the French and Indian War. And he says, come to, come to Cambridge with 100 Virginia rifles, which means the guys to carry him. And so he does. It takes him 21 days to walk from Winchester, Virginia, literally right down the street from where we live, just on the other side of the Shenandoah River. And it were 21 days. If you do it on the highway, it's about a 480 mile walk. But you know, I-95 wasn't there. There were no bridges. There were ferry boats across the rivers. There were wow. some places where you could ford the rivers. And it's so 600 miles in round numbers. He arrives 21 days. I tell the Boy Scouts this story and I said, let's go for a hike. Just imagine trying to walk 25 or 30 miles a day in the middle of a forest, in the middle of, you know, literally the middle of summer. And, and he arrives up in, in Boston. The autumn is just beginning. And the first thing that happens is Congress, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, orders Washington to attack Quebec. And of course, they arrive at, at literally the walls around Quebec on New Year's Eve. And the next day, the enlistments expire and they've been defeated. That's book one about Daniel Morgan. Book two coming out this summer. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the chance to promote it. Yeah. That is amazing. Last question for you before we wrap up. You ever seen the movie A Few Good Men with Jack oh, uh, sure. Nicholson? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the last part where, you know, Tom Cruise goes up and uh, tell me the truth. You can't handle You want to know the, tell me, you can't handle the truth. And he finally says it, right? Code red and the whole thing, they go back and forth. You know, I'm going to try to ask this question the, the, the way for it to make sense to you. So, you know, guys campaign, I will not raise taxes. They become president, they raise taxes, okay? You will be able to keep your insurance power, you know, that you can't, okay? All right. so, so that's a lie. Let's just qualify that as a lie. Let's set that part aside. But then the other part of it is behind closed doors, you're you're negotiating, you're doing some stuff that it's, it's not black and white. There's, a, there's gray area in it, you know, and military to develop, to go through war, people's lives on the line, you know, I interviewed a sniper yesterday, 33 confirms in 100 days in Afghanistan. It's a different life. Like, you can't explain it, but, you know, some of the stories. Hey, let me tell you what happened over here, right? Do you think there's an element of things that happen behind closed doors with presidents, with military, with war, with negotiation, that the day-to-day the -day person couldn't handle the truth if we really knew what was really taking place. I don't know if that question makes sense or not. You know what, look, I, I think the, to the extent this it's possible, you can't do this if you're building a weapon system or an intelligence collection system, but you can do it with almost everything else. If there's not a national security component that needs to be kept secret, there ought to be transparency. I mean, look, a husband cannot get along with a wife or vice versa if they're not transparent with one another. Ultimately, it all comes apart. Right. And we've seen that happen to friends of ours. And you have too. look at the idea of transparency is, a, is valid. There needs to be more of that in Washington. There needs to be more cooperation. There needs to be unifying. But none of that's happening with this administration. That's why I take part. Uh, I'm not, not trying to disagree with you completely, but I think Biden is a failed leader already. And I think he's doing things behind the scenes. Ultimately, they're going to require legislation. And hopefully there'll be enough Republicans left together 
hang together literally, as Ben Franklin said, we'll either hang together or hang separately. The fact is the Republican Party has got to get their act together. I still believe that the right guy to do that is Mike Pence. I still believe that the American people want capitalism. You and I are capitalists. We're entrepreneurs. You want that kind of opportunity. I want it most of all for my grandkids, right? Because they are the next generation of people who are going to inherit whatever mess we leave them. And the idea of leaving them in, in trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that they're never going to be able to pay off. And then to promise, oh, by the way, we'll go, the government's going to take care of your college loans. I, the, the idea that, that the government can do everything is a foreign idea to the framers of our Constitution. The Constitution was created to protect us, we the people. That's the first three words of that Constitution, right? Hundreds of times I've raised my right hand to administer that oath. And we commit to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic, the Constitution of the United States. And I look at that and it, 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 the oath ends with, so help me God. Mm. If you go to my website, you can see one of those oaths being given to those guys. And, it, and, and they're all shouting it out together. We've got to return to the spiritual roots of this country. That's what gives me hope. That's what gives me assurance that things are going to turn out better than they sometimes look today. Probably better. better. Here, we're, we're supposed to get between seven and nine inches of snow tomorrow and over the course of the next four days. And another one of these Biden blizzards <laughs> that just come down and shut everything down. And Lord willing, that won't happen to our country. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time. I have really, really enjoyed having you on by taming as a guest. Thank you. I have too. And I appreciate it. And I'll end it the way I always do. Semper Fidelis, that's the motto of the United States Marine Corps, but it's more than a slogan. It's a way of life. Always faithful. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. What a story, right, from a man that's got experience personally with Iran, with, you know, politics, with challenges in the past to give perspective and color on what's taking place today. I'm curious to know what you took away from it. Comment below. Also, if you enjoyed this interview, I think you'll also enjoy my sit down with Larry Arn, who is the president of Heritage University. If you've never seen that, click over to watch that interview. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.